My guest today is not only a name that you will recognize in the world of baseball, but he's also an author who is going to share lessons on how to be a leader in life. His book, and I really love this title, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up. Food for thought. This is going to challenge us on how to create a positive, winning culture, whether we're in the field or in the office. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. He is Claudio Rosano. He is an author, a head baseball coach at Carnegie Mellon University for 16 years, he is general manager of the Global Scouting Bureau for 20 years, and he's podcast host who interviews sports legends from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Well, that would be something that I would definitely be interested in, and I'm sure that he has a great audience that would loves to hear these stories as well. So Claudio has been on numerous television talk shows. And we're so honored to have him share his story, which is probably going to be quite unique and not maybe what you expect. So stay tuned. And as he shares his story, i never, ever give up hope. Welcome, Claudio. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm not a sports person per se, but I love yeah. stories. So anytime, whether it's a, whatever kind of story it is, I'm anxious to hear yours. Well, I'm anxious to tell them to you. <laughs> so the first thing I want to uh, chat with you about is you've had many accomplishments. In fact, as I read your accomplishments, I almost got tired. There's such a long <laughs> list of them. It is awesome. And each one I just thought a little bit about, and I know whatever you want to share during this interview about any of those accomplishments, that's great. You're not bragging, I'm asking. So tell us about those early years when friends and family were getting on your case about doing something with your life. Well, I, I can actually tell you when it all started as far as uh, the dream was concerned. Um, it was August 19th, 1973. I was eight years old. My uncle worked at Three River Stadium, which is where the Pirates and the Steelers used to play. And uh, my parents were from Italy. They didn't, they weren't into baseball. They liked boxing and soccer, right? So mm. I went to that game and just to go, nothing big, you know, nothing was really hitting me until I seen that building. And to me, I, I have pictures of it all over my office. I have some statues of it in my living room. And I just love that building. But anyway, uh, so something was kind of going on with me. Then we go into the stadium and I still remember that scent to this day. You know, it was a long time ago, but 
and I'm 56 now. I was eight then, as I said. So he took me to the Allegheny Club, which is where he worked. He was a general manager or assistant manager there. And it was basically a restaurant inside of uh, the stadium where you could watch the games. So then he, ta- he takes me downstairs in the locker rooms. And a lot of those players were getting dressed and they were talking to me. And they had these bright white uniforms on with their pirate logo <laughs> and their numbers. And then somehow I ended up, I kind of snuck on to the field by myself and there was nobody there but the grounds crew and me and and 58,000 plus empty seats. It was like I had toothpicks in my eyes. They were like so wide open. Wow. You know, and this is before the game even started. Okay. Then I watched the game and remember coming home, not saying a word. My uncle said, you have a good time. Yeah, but that was it. That's all I said to him. So I get home and my dad asked me the same question. He said, did you have a good time? I said, I did, but I think I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. And he said, what's that? He said, I, I said, I want to be in professional baseball. That's all I said. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And he, and he put his hand on my shoulder. And I, I'll never forget this, Carol. He said, well, if that's what you want to do, then me and your mom will do everything we can to give you every opportunity in the world to make your dreams come true. And and my mom said, you know, as long as I'm a good boy and do good in school and all that kind of stuff, she, they would support me. And I'll tell you what, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the show some accomplishments or whatever. Uh, if it was not for my parents, their love and support and belief in me and them sticking up for me and motivating me and giving me every opportunity mm. to, to chase my dreams and make them come true. I guarantee you, you would not be talking to me today. And there's an old Italian saying, uh, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know he didn't get there alone. <laughs> well, <laughs> where, wherever it is that I'm at, it, it, it's certainly wouldn't have never happened without my parents, that's for sure. But that's, you know, I, I always say I left the house that day worrying about Batman and Iron Man and and Popeye, for those who remember Popeye. Oh, yes. And, and I came back with a dream. So it was just, uh, it was that that's the day, and uh, that's where it all started. Now, you did mention something when I was reading over your bio, though, that um, there were people who said that you were not being realistic, and they tried to discourage you from that. So tell us about that. Yeah, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. Now it's fortunately. Back then it was unfortunate, but there were some family members. It's one thing, Carol, for me to say not to believe in you. It's another thing for people to not want to see you achieve anything. That, that's yeah. two different, total, totally different things. And these people who were constantly, constantly saying, it's time to quit baseball, grow up and be a man. Quit buffaloing your parents, which in other words, quit you know, lying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. BS. Right, you know. right. Be realistic. It's never going to happen. It's a pipe dream. Um, you know, you're going to be a you're going to be a failure. You're going to be a flop. You know, over and oh, this was for years, and and that just added more pressure to me. But then I said, you know what? I'm going to use my worst enemy to be my best ally. And as right. much as I love my parents, and as much as I wanted to make my parents proud of me, boy, I t- the, the people that were against me, I really, really wanted to shut them up. I really wanted to show them. <laughs> that uh, things were going to happen. And it took a long time, but it it did hurt because uh, a couple of these people I really cared for a lot. And they just broke my heart because it never, ever stopped. And even when things, you know, even when I did get the jobs that I got and the opportunities that I got and uh, awards or whatever it is that I received, they still could not say congratulations. They still could not say one thing positive. One guy tried to take credit for it, which trust me when I tell you. Wow credit for it but um that's just the way people are you know um and and for no reason it isn't like i bragged about anything because i never did 
It isn't like they didn't have good lives and making money because they did and they were. They just did not want to see me accomplish what I set out to accomplish for whatever reason. I mean, jealousy or maybe they didn't want my dad's son. And my dad raised these. My dad was wonderful with these people. So there was absolutely zero, zero reason for them to be that way with me other than them being idiots. (laughs) Well well said. (laughs) But I think you hit the nail on the head. I think jealousy is an extremely negative and powerful motivator. And people use it, you know, because they want to do whatever it is that you have done, whether they're successful or not. They want to accomplish what you've done. So if you've done it and they haven't, well, then jealousy, you know, lurks its ugly head, as they say. So probably that's what it was. It's that's true. But again, they were doing very well in life. They were making money. They, they may not have been happy personally, but you know, yeah, that could that's be too. Their end, that me. could be too. But but they were doing fine. They just did not want me to. They they just wanted to see me fail so they could tell you I told you so. Oh now, wow. now what good? Let let's say things would have never worked out. Okay. Now you told me. Okay, you, you're you're a failure. You're a flop. I told you it wasn't going to happen. All right. Now what? Okay. No, but. Thankfully, it did. What's your the low point? What can you share with us as far as a time in your life when there was maybe a hopelessness or a you know a serious concern and a low point in your life that you didn't know if you're going to make it? Oh boy, there's a lot of those. Okay, um, highlight a couple. <laughs> those are good because well, they're encouraging. Because look at you now. Well, thank you. the The first one where I was just gonna quit everything was. My mom and I, my parents and I were extremely close. I mean, I, I again, uh, I, I have to always talk about my parents, but my mom, Ida, who we named my daughter after, she passed away in October 8th, 1988. She was only 48. Mm. And um, that just devastated me. Of course. Devastated. And I remember going to the funeral, the, the funeral home, and this one idiot stopped me. I could, I could tell you it was actually three feet from the podium you know where you sign your name yes thing. yes and he and he steps in front of me and he says now it's really time to grow up and quit baseball and be a man now wow. what that had to do with anything yeah you know it was just again being an idiot he was a bad guy he used to this guy used to fluff his hair up in the front to cover the horns <laughs> uh, i love that <laughs> so, anyway so i remember going to the casket and it was the first time that I ever kissed my mom that she didn't kiss me back. Aww. And uh, I was 23. She was 48. I held her hand. And I tell you what, I was just, tears were just Aww. falling on her hand, you know. And, and and my dad came over to me and, you know, he was going through a lot because, you know, him and my mom were very close. And, uh, but he, he I'll never forget, Carol, he said, I know what you're thinking. Stop thinking that. And that was, I, I just was going to quit baseball. I was, I'll tell you exactly what I was going to do. And I really haven't shared this with many people, but I'll share it with your audience. I was going to quit baseball, get a job working at the airport, which is nothing wrong with that, but that's not what the dream was. And just move on with my life and just the hell with it. I was done. And he said, you can't quit. He said, and I didn't say anything to him, but he just knew that's what I was thinking. He said, because your mom promised you that she would fight. She had, she, she had cancer and she did fight. And you promised her that you'd never mm, give up, ever. Good. That you would never quit. You would never give up. He said, you have to keep going. And as he's telling me that, and I'm just telling you what happened. I'm not trying to be corny or dramatic. But, it, you know, you start hearing that Rocky music. 
the mm-hmm. horns. Right, the right, right. And then I grabbed my mom's hand. I said, okay. And, uh, and I, I, I get choked up talking about it, but I said, um, you know, you didn't quit. I'm not going to quit. And I, you know, I went from there. And, and, and so and that was a turning moment. But, um, you know, I always like to tell people, well, I mentioned that August 19th again, 73. Um, maybe this would be good for the end of the show, but this is important to, too for, for your listeners. That day, um, the starting pitcher, his name was Jim Rooker. Jim and I are, are very good friends to this day. We play in celebrity golf tournaments together. He's done some scouting for me. He's been on my podcast. The first baseman's name was Al Oliver. He and I were inducted into the same Hall of Fame a few years ago. Mm. The second baseman's name was Rennie Stennett. Rennie invited me to the 1979 40-year 40 anniversary pirate reunion a couple years ago. The left fielder's name was Willie Stargell, and I won a uh, Willie Stargell Lifetime Achievement Award a few years ago. Now, if you'd have told me when I was eight yeah. that these things would happen, that's how ah, you're crazy. What are you talking about? So I always like to tell people whenever I do any speaking, you know, th- there's nothing special about me, Carol, but things did happen for me, and things can happen for people. You know, uh, just think of that story. I was eight years old, and, and those guys were playing on that field, and they were as they were bigger than life to me. And now they're friends of mine or I play golf with them or they, they do some work with me or they appear on my show. And matter of fact, three of those guys appeared on my show. And, and, and so, um, so that was a turning point. And then um, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but, uh, or, or the show, but uh, in January of 2001, and there's a story behind that. That's pretty good. I got my, my dream came true. I, I was coaching high school and college ball. Yes, that's great. But I didn't have those three, letters next to my name and that was pro until january of 2001 where james gamble the owner of the global scouting bureau called me and uh offered me the job that i have today and um the next year i was named general manager and things went from there so uh you know it's happened so many years ago but these these things still get to me because uh, i'm very grateful I, i really am I'm guessing that a lot of these things that happened in your life then were the reason that you wrote your book some of it you know, that's more going to be an autobiography, to be honest with you, okay, uh, okay. To, to motivate people and to let people know that things can happen right. and, and not to give up. But as far as the book is concerned, the reason why I wrote it is because uh, I've been so fortunate to coach such wonderful people over the years that liked me, that, that cared for me, that played hard for me. And I wanted other to, and well, I tell you what. One time in '93, there was a back and forth game, and I opened the book up with this. I believe um, I wrote the book, and I'm trying to think what I started off with. But <laughs> uh, it was 1993. It was a back and forth game. It was at the Community College of Beaver County. I was head coach then. I was what 27 years old, I believe, and uh, so we win the game. And players are jumping up and down, screaming and hollering, congratulating each other. And it was just a regular season game, and they and they started to congratulate me. And they said, Coach, we did that for you. And I, so and I said, okay. I, I thanked them. And then I remember going to my office, and I, I couldn't get up out of the chair. I was just so drained, as I still am to this day whenever I coach. But I said to myself, I asked myself, why is it that these players like me? Why is it that they play hard for me? What is it? And some things hit me. Number one, I'm approachable. And number two, they know that I care. So 
through the years, I've used that same formula. Dick Vermeil was a Super Bowl winning coach with the St. Louis Rams. He was on my show as well. And he said he always had a, a line that your players, your team, or the people that work with you or for you, they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And then the title of the book, Lead from the heart up, not the neck up. That came from my mom. My mom always used to say, never speak from the neck up. Oh, really? Speak from the heart up. Yeah. In other words, mean what you say. Say it with heart. Say it with passion and care. And so I turned that around with lead with your heart up. Because I see, I'll be blunt with you, I see a lot of coaches who feel that this is the way you're supposed to coach. And they everybody's a robot and nobody has any feelings and uh, I mean, we can talk about the book and some of the stories in it later, but the coaches that I was attracted to, Jim Valvano, who is a, he was a friend of mine, he, his team, the North Carolina State uh, basketball team, won, they were the Cinderella story in 1983, they won the championship, and his, his unfortunately, he passed of cancer many years ago, and he started the Jimmy V Fund, which you'll see on ESPN, and the, this, this, the, the saying, I don't want to say saying, but he always says, never give up, don't ever give up, which obviously your show is that that as well. So that's why I wrote the book. I wanted other coaches, leaders, CEOs, people in those positions to know that you don't have to be a tough guy. You don't have to be, you know, distant. Dang. You can be nice to people. You, and, and there's a bunch of different things in the book, which we can talk about later, that shows that that formula works. Well, why don't you share something? There's so many stories. Uh <laughs> Yeah, um, there was a game. Matter of fact, uh, I'll share this one. It was on my birthday, several several years ago. My players, I, if we win this game, we will have the all-time wins mark for CMU baseball, Carnegie Mellon University baseball. And I really wanted this team to have it because they were just a fantastic group. They worked hard, and they deserved that number. They deserved that accolade. They deserved it. My players, I heard them in the dugout saying, "We got to win this for Coach. It's his birthday." Uh-huh. They, didn't talk about, they didn't talk about the number. They talked about winning it for me. So we were losing 8 nothing, And then we made this big comeback. We tied it up, Carol. It was just an exciting game. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. Everybody's going nuts. So we tie it up. I have something that coaches usually don't have time to do, and that's think. So we, there was a pitching change. So I told the, the young man at second base who just got the game-tying hit. I said, Brett, come here. Now, look. If the ball, if we score one more run, obviously we win the game. But if it's hit to left field, I'm sending you because the left fielder doesn't have much of an arm. The ball's a little wet out there. I'm sending you. If it's hit to center field, I'm going to send you because he doesn't have a good arm. But if it's hit to right field, I will not send you. Do you understand? You're going to stay right here with me. Got it, coach. I said because he's got a cannon for an arm. He's already thrown one runner out. Plus, we have the heart of our order coming up. We have a bunch of good hitters up. So we don't need to take any chances. Do you hear me? Yeah, I got it, coach. Brett, you got to listen to me. Coach, I got it. It's okay. <laughs> so the ball's hit where, Carol? Right field. <laughs> and, and what does your wonderful guest do? He sends them. I send them. I just got done telling him I wasn't going to send them. But I got oh, caught up. And I sent him. He was thrown out so bad that the catcher had to go get him. He had to go up the line and, catch, <laughs> and tag him. That's how far uh, it was just, it was a ridiculous, uh, he was thrown out by a mile. You know, it was my fault. And I'll never forget, I told my players, hey, guys, I messed up. Get me out of this were my exact words. Get me out of this. And the guys were very, they said, don't worry, coach. We got him. We'll get him. Well, Carol, they didn't get him. We lost. Oh. We lost the game. 
And as is custom, we go down to the foul lines after a game and for the post-game talk, right? So I usually run down. Well, this time I walked. And it, I, it took me a while to get there because we lost because of me. I blew the game. And I always wore sunglasses when I coached. And I remember putting my hands on my knees, looking at the ground, and my sunglasses were touching, or catching my tears. Aww. And I told my team, I'm sorry. I blew the game for you. You guys fought like hell to win this game, and you deserved it. And I blew it. I let the emotions get the best of me, mm. and I blew it. Mm. And I'm sorry. Then what my pitcher said, Coach, if I would have pitched better, we would have won. My catcher said, Coach, if I would have gotten that hit in the third inning with the bases loaded, mm -hmm. we would have won. My center fielder said, if I would have caught that ball, Coach. Now, my point is, they, they were blaming themselves. But why? If I was mean with those guys, That's right. not understanding, or if I wasn't good with those guys, and, and I or I hollered at them and made them look bad or embarrassed them, when it's my turn to mess up, and we're all going to mess up, you know what they just said? They may not have said it verbally, but they just said, good for him. Now he knows what it's like. I'm glad he messed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And so stories like that or, you know, uh, some players of mine that happened in 93 and it happened in 2018. Um, obviously two different groups of players, but uh, they, they both had the exact same story. They said, Coach, can we leave? what time is practice over? I said, 8. Do you mind if we leave at uh, quarter after 7? I said, well, why? So we're going to a concert, and we got these tickets a long time ago. So we're going to come to practice. If you don't mind, could we leave early? I said, leave now. He said, what are you talking about? I said, coach, I mean, guys, look. And I said it again to my players, 93, this three or four guys and three or four guys and uh, or two guys in 2018. By the time you leave here, go to your dorms, get showered, get dressed, pick your friends up, pick your dates up go to the uh, arena, you're going to be late. You're going to be flying around. I don't want you to get any accidents. I want you to enjoy yourselves. I don't want you to rush, 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 leave now. And those guys appreciated it so much that they played even harder for me. That's right. Um, or, or just like another young mm -hmm. man in, in 90 or in 90, he, uh, he came to practice and I titled this in the book. He was there, but he wasn't. He came, he was down in the mouth. I said, what's the matter, Bill? He said, nah, I'm having problems with my girlfriend. And I said, go take care of it. He said, what? And I remember exactly where this was on the field, too. And he said, I said, go take care of it. He said, you want me to leave practice? I said, yeah, go to her house. Go take care of it. Go fix it up. And he, he shot for me, took off, right? And and that kid gave me even more. That's right. Absolutely. He knew that I cared because I've been yeah. through that. Yep. You know? And so, again, winning is important. It's damn important. But at the same time, as people, they're important. So I try to show them that. And uh, the, the book, the first part of the book, Carol, is how I wasn't treated so well by some of the coaches that I worked with um, and some mistakes that I made, including that, that game I told you about. Then in the middle of the book are a bunch of great questions that I received over the years and I past couple years and I wrote the answers to them. I think they're good answers. And the last part of the book is about 27, 28 former players of mine that gave me a uh, testimonial. And I said, write whatever you want, however long you want, say whatever you want. And they, they blew me away with some of the nice things that they said. And it's funny because um, last night I was on the phone with a kid that I coached three years ago. Uh, we were talking about some different investing. Another kid yesterday I coached five years ago I got him a, an assistant coaching job here locally. Then right before you called, 
one of my best friends, Vince Kaplack, uh, we've been friends since 1988 and I coached him. So I've been so fortunate to have great people to coach and many of them have become very, very good friends of mine. And uh, so the awards are great. The championships are nice, the rings and all that stuff, but the relationships are that much more important to me. Well, that's leading from the heart, which is a perfect, perfect title for your book. Yeah. Every every example you gave here, that's you know that was the foremost in my thoughts. That's exactly what you're doing. You're a strong leader, but you are leading from the heart, and you understand people, which is Paul part of leading from the heart. And and I got and, and I thank you for that. And I got to tell you another thing. There was a young man my first year at CMU. Uh, big kid, about six foot four. Not not big as far as big build. He was six foot four, tall kid, glasses, curly hair, nice kid. But he was always late, always <laughs> late. And one thing about me is I'm never ever ever late. Now CMU, I I am more understanding because they do have crazy class times mm-hmm. and lab work, and they're up till three four in the morning. But this kid was just always late because he was late. Right. So I said, look, that's it. No more. You're not going to be late anymore. <clears throat> I, I've given you so many opportunities, and, and you keep being late. Get late for games, late for practices, late for meetings. That's it. I've had it. He's a coach. I'm sorry. You're right. I wasn't trying to take advantage of you. It's just That's just me. I have a bad habit of being late. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, I'm not going to be late anymore. I said, okay, Chris. All right. So the next day, we have a game. We're meeting in the gym at uh, 830. I'm there. Jeez, I'm there around quarter to seven. They're w- way early, right? And this kid was there at seven o'clock. Oh. <laughs> so let me take that back. Maybe seven thirty, whatever. He was there way early. Right. Way early. I said, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Coach, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to be. I said, okay, good. So maybe about an hour later before we take off, I see him and he's dressed in, uh, what do they call those pants? Um, cargo pants. Oh, yeah. A polo shirt, a backpack, a hat, a polo hat, and glasses. And I think flip-flops, I think. <laughs> Sandals, whatever. He's at the doorway, and I lost it. I snapped on him. Because you came to, you came to the game, or you, first of all, you promised me you weren't going to be late. You were here way early. Then the whole team sees you, and now you go back out of your way and get undressed in regular clothes, and you're going to come back to the gym? Now he's pushing me. Now he's going to test right. me. It's my first year. Let's test this guy. So I lost it. So here I am. I'm, I'm five, six and a half on a good hair day. And I'm looking at him. He's six, four. And I'm just hollering at him. And I'm giving it to him good. Okay. And I'm saying a bunch of things to him. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, and he's not saying a word. He's just staring at me. Yeah. I, I look to my left. And there's that kid, my, my player. He had an identical twin. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't know that. And everybody's watching me hollering at this kid. And this kid didn't go to school there. He just he just came to see his brother, and he's saying, what in the hell is this guy hollering at me for? He's just staring at me. Oh, and goodness. everybody just cracks up no after kidding. I get yeah. And so the, the lesson in the uh, book and the uh, story, because every story has a little bit of a – That's right. I call it a timeout, uh, uh, time, whatever the hell I call it, timeout, whatever, um, to, to – uh, you know, to, to go over the story. And the, uh, the, the, the lesson there is if you're going to holler at somebody, make sure you're hollering at the right person. No kidding. Great <laughs> story. I love it. So what is your goal now? Do you have any goals that you're trying to attain or do you feel that, I mean, you have had incredible accomplishments and you can share some of those too, if you would, please. 
You know, that's a great question. And I was talking about to my player yesterday, my former player, Rainer, yesterday. And that is Jackie Robinson wrote a book years ago, obviously, and it was I never had it made. Although I'm extremely happy with my life. I have a great wife. I have a great daughter. You know, unfortunately, my mom, as I said, passed away. 32 years ago and my dad in two weeks 17 years i miss my dad terribly mm. but i have some great friends and i've accomplished pretty much everything that i wanted to accomplish carol but you know what i'm not done yet that's right i'm not done I yet you. I, I want to do more things yes. I, uh, I, I want to obviously i want to make i want to win more championships and do better at cmu i want our scouting company global scouting bureau i want that to be even more successful um, I want to write another book. I want my podcast that I do to, to, to do even better. The TV shows that I do to do even better. And I always tell my wife, I'm, I'm always going to come up with something. Uh, I just took on a position with a company called 409 Leadership Academy where I'm, uh, I speak to different kids and different organizations. Uh, I'm sorry, different schools, organizations, motivational type thing, leadership. Mm -hmm. And I want to I want to do that. And I want to have impact on people. So I will always uh, chase. I will always uh, if I achieve achieve a certain number, I want to do better. That yeah, yeah yes. exactly. If exactly. I win one award, I want to win another. And um, and and you know, you talk about some achievements. And fortunately, I've been inducted into some Hall of Fames and won some Coach of the Years and things like that. But every time that I've gone up to speak accepting the award. Not once did I ever say, well, I did this, I did that, I mm -hmm. did this, mm -hmm. that. I remember, no, it was always about my parents first and foremost, uh, you know, thanking God and th thanking my parents and the people who hired me and my players, because without my players, okay, you're not going to win. I don't care what That's anybody right. Absolutely. You know, Bill Belichick for New England Patriots, everybody's always the greatest of all time. Well, guess what happened when Tom Brady didn't play for him anymore? Mm. They didn't make the play and do so well. You know, so you need the horses, as I always say. So there's so many things uh, I want to accomplish. I want to, as I said, I want to improve on what, what I'm doing now. Uh, but I'm always coming up with new things. Uh, I'm doing a, another show in Florida uh, with a lady named Barbara Fairbairn. We are doing a sports show every other Monday. It's a TV radio show uh, in Florida. I mean, of course, I'll be based out of Pittsburgh, and she's out there. There's a documentary that's going to be made uh, on my life slash career. Uh, I do some boxing. I do a boxing TV show here. I do some boxing. Uh, I'm a boxing announcer, analyst, and, of course, the baseball stuff and um, some speaking. I want to I do more speaking. I want to have impact on people, as I said, and, and talk about my book and, and talk to people, players, or anybody who has dreams. They don't have to be in sports, Carol. It's, of course it's, not. Yeah. yeah. It, it could be whatever it is you want because if things happen for me, again, they can happen for others. So I just want to keep going. And real quick, Gene Simmons, the, the guy from KISS, he, he was dirt poor growing up. And um, his mom was very important in his life. And uh, he remembers one time that he brought a check to her for $10 million. He said, look at this, Ma. And she looked at it and she said, that's wonderful. What's next? <laughs> and, and my mom, she was very proud of me. My mom was very proud of me. But and as I said, she passed when she, I was 23. I she got to see me coach high school ball. I mean, I, I think she sees everything that I do now, but that's another story. But she just always 
okay, that's great. You won that award. Congratulations. I'm very proud of you. Now what are you going to do? You know, so that's the way I am. The word next, next. That's right. And that's like what keep, that knowledge. keeps you motivated. It keeps me motivated. And and plus, you know, I, I want to be an inspiration to my daughter. Um, she's a sophomore at Pitt. She's going to be 20 in May. She's doing great in school. She's uh, she's in the color guard. And I want to show her that, you know, my life and, and she knows everything about me and she's heard the stories 3,000 times. And, and hopefully that motivates her. Mm-hmm. To- and the documentary, why are they doing a documentary of your life? And are they going to make it like a motivational type piece as well or strictly accomplishments? No, it'll be a motivational thing. Um, we were going to, we started doing it a while back, but of course COVID hit and everything, uh, the brakes were put on it. But I have some great, great people that I do three TV shows with Steel City Sports World, Pittsburgh's Ring Talk, and Pittsburgh Steeler Pre-Snap Show. And that's Smoking Jim Frazier and Luther Dupree. And you can watch us on uh, SC, scsportsworld.com. And they're on my show all the time, too. Just two wonderful, wonderful people who uh, I just love them to death. And we have a great time together. But Luther's going to produce it and film it. And Jim's going to be the the interviewer is that right interviewer yeah and we'll so we'll go to different spots we're going to go where three river stadium used to be and hmm. walk there we're going to walk around my hometown of swigley we'll be at my house and some different places that mean something to me and just tell the story from day one to present and again it's to show people that look it, it's hard to say that you want to be like michael jordan or a tom brady right. or uh, you know, whoever, whoever's out there. Right. But it's not hard to say I can do what Claudio does because it isn't, you know, I, I'm, there's, again, there's nothing special about me and I'm not trying to be a humble guy or anything like that. Cause I'm not really that, I don't think I'm that humble. Of a guy. <laughs> but, uh, but, but again, things can happen. Things can happen. And I've been through a lot of hell, a lot of rejections, um, Two parents passing, some backstabbers. Uh, look, I haven't gone through anything that anyone else hasn't gone through. Other people have gone through the same thing. I just got knocked down six times and I got up seven. That's right. So that's what I tried Absolutely. To do. So in summary, would you like to share anything else? Plus, what happened in 1999 with Ted Williams? See, that that's another story that I really love to share with people. 1999. Uh, I was watching the 1999 All-Star Game out of Boston. I was in my living room. I was by myself. And I was just a little down because I was climbing the ladder. I don't want people say it was quick. I didn't think it was quick, but it, whatever. And I got to Division One level in college. I left that, that job. Well, I was actually fired from that job. I was going to leave, but he fired me. He got rid of me before I quit. Uh, we just we just did not get along. The coach and I, we were just totally different people and uh, totally different coaches. And it was his best that I left for many reasons. So for a couple of years, I was out of it. I didn't coach anywhere. Um, so then I got a job in February of 1999 working for Quigley Catholic High School for a whopping $800 a year. And a year. So... <laughs> Let's fast forward to, I believe, July of 99. So I'm watching the All-Star game, and they had this fantastic ceremony with the current All-Stars, past All-Stars, I mean, legends, Hall of Famers, Mm -hmm. and then they drive Ted Williams in. 
okay? And he tips his cap to the crowd and everybody's shaking his hand. And it was such a great moment if you're a baseball historian and like the old days and, and the yeah. new days, right? It was just a great moment. And all of a sudden, Carol, I got sad. And, and I said, I am about as far away from reaching my goals and dreams as you can possibly be. And I got really down. I don't want to say depressed, but I, I was just really down. So fast forward to May of 2002 in New Jersey. Now, I got my job as a pro baseball scout, general manager for the Global Scouting Bureau. We had a baseball pro baseball tryout camp. Who was one of the participants of that camp? John Henry Williams, Ted Williams' son, who was oh, in that really? car with him. He was in that car with him at the All-Star game, okay, with his dad. Well, long story short, I signed John Henry Williams to a pro baseball contract in 2002. And, you know, you think about it. That day in 99, I was as down as you can get. Hmm. And I ended up signing that guy who I'm watching. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's unbelievable how things can happen if you just keep at it. And it's going to be That's tough. Right. because, Like I said, and, and, and I got to share this with you real quick if it's okay. In, in November of 99, it's weird how I remember these things. November of 99, my wife and I were going to watch one of my best friends, Vinny Paz, Vinny Pazienza, former five-time world champion boxer, uh, fight. So we were going to take a bus because she didn't want to fly, take a bus to Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. So I wanted to get some reading material. So I picked up this magazine, and in the back of it, it said they were looking for player baseball players for overseas, professional baseball overseas. And it was the Global Scouting Bureau. So I told my wife, I said, when I get home, I'm going to call this company. So I can speak Italian. I said, maybe I can be an asset to them somehow. So from November of 99, every month, at least two to three times a month, I would email, call James Gamble, the owner of the Global Scouting Bureau. Then finally, in January of 2001, he gave me a call. I'll never forget what he said. His exact words were, don't do backflips, but I have a job offer for you. Now, I'm making $800 a year coaching baseball. My dad, I owned a landscape. My dad owned a landscape business and I worked with him, but that wasn't the goal or the dream. And I have a baby. We have a baby due in, in May. So uh, I said, yeah, what is it? He, he gave me the numbers and it was a, it was a lot of money. You have your own TV show, radio show, place to stay, car. And the money was great. Everything's good. My ears are like, wow, okay, great. <laughs> and then he said, it'll be in Italy. Hmm. And silent. He said, so when do you want to sign? I said, could I give you a call back? He said, are you kidding me? I said, no. I said, you know, I want to talk it over with my wife. And right. Oh, you've been calling me every, you know, three three times a month for over a year. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, and you and you have to think about it. I said, James, I, I'm sorry, but yeah, I kind of do. He said, okay, you got about you know nine, ten days. I said, all right. So I went downstairs because my dad lived with us, and I, I I told him about it, and he had some he had a lot of health issues, and he said, yeah, let's go. I said, Dad, you don't understand. We'd have to live in Italy for ten months out of the year. That's okay. This is your dream. This will be a good shot for you to go after your, you know, the dream to be in a professional baseball here in the States. I said, oh, man, okay. I said, my wife will say no, right? So my wife gets home, Linda gets home, and I tell her about it. And she very calmly said, okay, let's go. I said, you, know, <laughs> you guys don't seem to understand, okay? And they didn't care about the money. They just wanted me to achieve. Right, my, my exactly. I said, 
our daughter's going to be born in Italy or you guys want to stay here without me for 10 months? You guys have to go with me or at least eight months, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so, oh my God. So I'll never forget. I went to Three River Stadium a couple days later and I went for a, about a four hour, three, four hour walk in the cold. And I remember coming home, my dad said, where were you? And I told him, he said, you were thinking about that job, weren't you? I said, yeah, I was. And he said, well, if you have to think about an offer like that, that long, then it's not for you. And I felt all these bricks off my shoulders. Really? But then I knew, because I didn't want to go to Italy. I mean, I have family there, okay? But I didn't want to live there. Right. Um, I, I wanted to be here. So I called James up knowing he was going to cuss me out, knowing he was going to tell me, don't ever call me again. You wasted my time. Uh -huh. Good luck to you. And he said, very simply, I said, James, look, I'm, I appreciate it more than you know, but I just can't do it. I'm sorry. And he said, okay, how would you like to work for me? I said, well, geez, that's what the hell I wanted to do. To begin with. <laughs> so I've been with him ever since. And, and I owe the Are guy. you kidding? Oh, that's incredible. And, and he's given me, like I said, even the Carnegie Mellon job, this one young man, uh, Danny Green, who was kind of doing an internship with us, recommended me for the CMU job. So, so many things happened because of the Global Scouting Bureau and, and James. And I, I'll tell you, my, my prayers anymore are pretty much thank you. That's it. I, I'm just so grateful. Right. And again, I've been through hell. Trust me when I tell you. Watching my mom, you know, holding my mom in my arms when she passed, her looking at me saying her last words, you still need me. I don't want to go. That that was devastating. My, my dad, you know, 53 days of hell when he was in the hospital, that was torture. And then the idiots that I had to deal with and the hundreds of rejections that I had. And, and when, while all your friends are doing fine and living it up and have their jobs and all that, you're still chasing that carrot. Um, not knowing if you're going to catch it because there was not a, there wasn't a set pattern, a set map to achieve what I wanted to achieve. But, but, but I, I'm grateful. And like I said, I, um, uh, I thank God every day. I think uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the life I have. Great wife, great daughter, great friends, and I enjoy what I do. And and uh, hopefully it lasts a little while longer, Carol. <laughs> I agree. And you know, everything that you said, as I said at the top of the show, I'm not a sports person per se. And the only thing that I did watch growing up in Detroit, Michigan, was baseball as far mm -hmm. as sports go, so I do understand a little bit of the concept. But everything <laughs> that you said was something that you could relate to in life. You had a lot of gold nuggets in there, a lot of inspiration, motivation, and you're a great storyteller. And so I thoroughly enjoyed what you shared with us today. I thank you for that motivation. I'm sure that everyone listening could pick out some of those nuggets or all of them and relate to them and realize that they too can accomplish no matter what what you have to come up against no matter what you've had happen to you but you keep your goals right and you treat the people with with you whether you're working with them living with them playing with them you treat them as you would want to be treated and respect them just as you said to lead them as well if you're in that position from the heart and not the head i really really thank you anything else in closing well, I appreciate you, and you have a great show that's very important because everybody needs to hear what your guests and what you have to say because, again, we all have our battles. We all, that's especially right. now, especially now, there's a lot of 
tough things going on out there, obviously. And uh, we need the tools, the motivate not motivation, but the tools to, to handle them. And um, so I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And if people want to know more about me or get in touch with me or get my book or listen to any of my shows, I can. you can get your fill of old Claude uh, in those shows. <laughs> Actually, all that information will be on your page. Oh, and they'll have you. all the connections. Your books will be there. Uh, everything will be there. So all they have to do when they hear the show, they will be able to click on whatever they're interested in and get your book as well. Thank you so much, Claudio, for being on. Never, ever give up hope. That's right. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.